appreciate your ministry. One of the most special things that um, happened to me when my grandma died is I was a youth pastor at a time, and the, the youth group took a collection, and they um, bought some Bibles uh, that were in memory of my grandma, and they were placed, and so that was special. My grandma had a special place for the Word of God, and so that was a, a great, great gift and a great idea. Um, and so thank you for your ministry. We appreciate it very much. Um, as you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, I kind of want to make you aware of something coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to have a, on a Sunday morning a, a testimony Sunday. Um, we've had several men from the men's retreat who've been blessed. Um, I, I've had multiple people share about this study in Abraham and, and how it's challenged them and uh, encouraged them. Um, Maybe you found Christ recently, you've experienced personal victory, you just really want to bless the body with. Uh, that, that Sunday is going to be set aside for that. And we hope you'll take advantage of that to, to bless and encourage the body of Christ of what's going on in your life. This is for young and old. Um, it's just a great opportunity to hear and be encouraged. And so if that's something you consider, please think it through a little bit. Um, that, that's always helpful. And see Dan because um, he's kind of the one who's organizing this, just so he has, we have an idea what's, uh, what's coming. Um, but we just really, really want to encourage you. If God's been doing something in your life, um, and you just want to encourage people and share that, that'd be wonderful. So that'll be in two weeks, and um, we're looking forward um, to that. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I kind of uh, mixed emotions as we um, kind of complete this study on the journey of Abraham. I've, uh, I've just... Fell in love with this, my friend, Abraham, is kind of how I've grown to appreciate him in several ways. And so we're going to look at chapter 25, verse 1 through 11, and look at his final years, and then kind of put a bow on this series a little bit, and kind of an overview on ways that this has challenged us and some overriding truths we can take home. We're reading chapter 25 of Genesis, verses 1 through 11. Now Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah, and she bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Maiden and Midian and Ishbak and Shuah. And Joshkin became the father of Sheba and Dadan, and the sons of Dadan were Ashurim, Lechushim, and Lumimim. And the sons of Midian were Ephaph, Epher, and Hanak, and Abida, and Eldah. And all these were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave, gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And these, these are all the, the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last, died in a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life. He was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave at Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. And there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived in Beer Leha Roi. There's a final snippet picture we have of Abraham's life. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the final years of life, your life. How'd you die, and maybe how you'd like to die. One funny man once wrote, when I die, I want to go out like my grandfather did, peacefully in his car, not screaming and yelling like those in the back seat. 
<laughs> I, I know really when all is said and done, you know, death isn't funny. Um, it's especially grim when there's a grave marker that could read died, age 45, buried, age 75. You see, many t- die way too long before they take their final breath. They simply stop living. They no longer seek joy. They no longer seek purpose. They no longer seek fulfillment that life has for them. As a matter of fact, they resign themselves to this idea of I have nothing left to give or nothing left to gain. I always wondered, why does that happen? Why, why do people just kind of almost put it in neutral and just kind of exist the last few years of their life? And There's probably more than this, but I think three characteristics that arise in my mind as to why those quit living are, one, narcissistic. It's, it's all about me. <laughs> uh, leave me alone. I've earned my right to be miserable. Um, so there becomes sometimes, in some cases, a narcissistic attitude. For some, it's just a pessimistic attitude. Might be a little moaning and complaining. I got nothing to contribute. I'm too old. They're the Eeyore type, I call them. Uh, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to rain. And so, unfortunately, they waste their final years because they're pessimistic. Then there's fatalistic. The only thing in front of me is the grave. The only thing in front of me is the urn, they say. And so they run out of hope. They run out of energy. As Abraham faced his final years, he had none of those characteristics. He had none of those attitudes. As a matter of fact, when we read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, as we look not just at Abraham, but all those that Hebrews 11 highlights for it, we see that their days were filled with important decisions, joyful events, purposeful actions. They sought to conquer mountains. And for sure, aging has its problems, But surely God wants us to live each day to its fullest, not to waste them. And so as we look at Abraham in Genesis 25, we see he's aging, there's no doubt. But he's enjoying life. And as he neared the sunset of his life, he experienced loss, but he clearly didn't waste his retirement years. Instead, I see a man who sought to live life to its fullest. We read in verse 1 of Genesis 25, he had a new wife. After about 110 years of marriage to Sarah. That's right. 110 years of marriage. Buried in his newly purchased family burial site. I'm sure there was great grief. But over time, healing took place. Counselors tell us that it takes a widowed spouse as long as three years just to find a sense of a new normal. Well, Abraham after, I'm sure, a grieving process, fell in love again. Now, I thought about that, and I've worked with many families over the years, and, and sometimes when someone, a widow, remarries, there's this sometimes perception of betrayal. I mean, they've been married to someone for so long, and, and to get remarried, especially from a kid's perspective, it almost seems wrong. But you see, God gives grace. Uh, to widows, maybe their older age, to remarry. And he, he rekindles the love in them. And that, that's a gracious act of God. And he did in Abraham's life and as he took a, a wife named Keturah. Now, she's hardly mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except First Chronicles 1, 32 through 33 in the genealogy. And so Abraham remarries. 
God grants him grace to keep on living, to experience romance with another person. And Abraham chose, I'm sure, another godly woman. And God had new experiences for Abraham as he entered into this season of his life with a new wife. But he didn't just have a new wife, he had a new family. You see in verses 2 through 4, it's not just that God had a new wife for Abraham, he had some new surprises for Abraham. I imagine one day, Abraham and Couture are sitting on the front swing, and she looks over and says, Honey, I'm pregnant. Abraham, being not even a little young, I'm sure said, What? Well, nine months later, they welcomed a son, Zimram. By the way, his name probably means musician, new music in Abraham's home. I'm wondering a few months later, hey, honey, we have another one on the way. Abraham had, by the way, never experienced this dynamic. Remember, Sarah was barren. She, she couldn't have children. And then came Isaac. The promised child. So Abraham had never experienced this idea of child upon child upon child. And after a while, it probably became common conversation. Hey, honey, could you take the crib out again? Six sons later, Abraham's got a whole new family. Now, I thought about this. No wonder he was probably staying active his final years. He played with toddlers, probably played catch with the boys. As we think about how he stayed young, well, one way is probably hunting with the boys, roaming through the hills. I'm sure he taught them to shear wool, to manage employees. Most important thing, though, he taught them is the truth about God and worshiping him. Now, while clearly not a lot of information really about the lives of Abraham and Keturah, we know Abraham continued to live a full life watching his second family sprout and grow and bloom and then bear fruit. Well, in verses 5 through 6, we read about his generous inheritance. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, and to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. And so we see this generous inheritance. Isaac, the promised son, he was the one whom God said would be the sole heir of the covenant, the one through whom the nation would be born. So when Abraham remarried, Keturah's legal status did not match Sarah's, which from whom Isaac came. But Abraham was still gracious to his other sons. He gave them gifts and he gave them resources that they could start their families. And Keturah had his wife and he had Keturah in the fullest sense of the word, but we know Isaac received as the legal, you could say, child of inheritance. Before he died, he took care, though, Abraham did, of all his children. He established each of his sons financially for their future. Came across a quote that once says, Do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's a lot of truth to that. Um, And I wonder, are you experiencing the joy of releasing your wealth while you're still alive? As Abraham did. I wonder if you and I stop to think how much the government will take if you don't plan your estate well. Have you thought that through? We have a good example as we look at Abraham of him thinking through a little bit, planning and providing and giving a generous inheritance to his family. I think that's a great example for you and I. And as he neared the end of his life, 
he wasn't narcissistic and he wasn't pessimistic. He wasn't fatalistic. He was generous. He cared about the next generation. We also read about his satisfying departure. I love this one verse, verse 7 through 8. You look down at verse 7. We're reminded he lived old, 175. And then Abraham breathed his last, died at a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life. What a great word. The word satisfied, literally in the Hebrew, it means to be full. He was full of satisfaction. Full of joy and delight, I'm sure, full of gratitude. He gave of himself. He gave of his resources. And he looked back at his life and he was full. Sure, there were mistakes. We've seen them. God's let us see them. There, there were times he failed to stand up. There was times he lied and deceived. But God, by his grace, had forgiven him, allowed him to live and to continue to have an impact and to be God's chosen instrument. And he lived, he lived life, though. He lived life to the full. Now, he could have looked back and said, you know what? These mistakes have forfeited me from serving God in the years ahead. And some of you may look back in your past and say, but I got all these regrets. I got the string of mistakes. I got all this. And unfortunately, we can carry that forward and think, well, there's nothing I can do for the kingdom now. Abraham could have done that, but he didn't. He knew he was forgiven, and he decided to look forward. He decided to live life to the fullest for his God. His last days reveal how he lived to the fullest. Now, there's a couple principles I really want to gain out of here just in this first section here. Um, it would really be help us to remember each day offers opportunities for staying young at heart. Each day offers opportunities for us to stay young at heart. Each day, you and I will wake up. Should God grant us a new day with an opportunity to live that day well? Do you realize every day you and I wake up, God gives you and I an opportunity to love well? These are significant opportunities. We have a choice whether we'll seize them or waste them. Every day. And those who live life fullest don't waste days. They string together days where they sought to live well and they sought to love well. That's why I think it's a great question I try to ask when I lay, lay my head on a pillow each night that I love well today. If I did, it was a good day. But I know I have a next day coming up, another great opportunity. And so, remember each day offers opportunities for staying young at heart. Um, not so long ago, I did a, a, led a service at Cocado Manor, which Elam Mission has a privilege to do. And uh, one of the senior saints was there. And uh, one of the things I just shared about uh, this generation that has, is able to pass on to us from the psalm uh, to the younger generation some significant things. And she came up to me afterwards, kind of teary-eyed, and she goes, sometimes I wrestle with really what God's plan for my life is right now. What is his purpose for me right now? Then she said, I see there are some things I can do. I thought, oh, bless her heart. Thinking of serving God, not giving up. And that's my next exhortation. Don't give up. Refuse to give up. Determine that you'll never stop living. You'll never give up in seeking to impact lives for the kingdom of God. Lay hands on your grandchildren often as possible. Pray over them. Have coffee with an unsaved friend. Encourage the young. Pray for them. 
You have opportunities to give to missionaries and different opportunities for our young people who may be trying to enter the mission field. Remember each day is an opportunity, but also refuse to give up, refuse to quit living. Abraham shouts this to us. And it's kind of his, his ending message for you and I as we looked at his life and look at his journey. No matter how old you are, um, we don't know how many years God will grace us with. But, but some of you might live to be quite old. And so even if you're young now, there needs to be, I think, a commitment to say, I'm not going to waste my life. I read a book a couple years ago called Do Hard Things. It was a challenge to do hard things for the kingdom, to not play it safe, which we tend to do. That was a great challenge, and I would challenge you no matter what age you are, especially if you're in this final season of your life, if you could put it that way. Do hard things for God. Don't quit. Don't give up. But there are major lessons if we now, I want to kind of zero in on the whole picture of Abraham's life. Hebrews 11, if you flip there, I want us to glean some of the major lessons. I think Hebrews uh, kind of summarizes well for us this wonderful man's life. In Hebrew 11, Abraham receives, actually you could say, some extended attention. The author of Hebrews, probably Paul, there's some who make the argument that's actually Apollos who wrote Hebrews. It's kind of a fun study if you want to have fun with that. Um, but Abraham receives extended attention about his faith journey, some overview, you could say. And remember, as we've gone through this, we've looked at Abraham's amazing journey, but our goal isn't just to study Abraham, it's, it's to learn from his journey for our journey. And we've learned multiple things. I'm sure if we took a poll, you probably all have some different things God has been speaking to you about and laying on your mind as we've gone through this study. Um, but you and I have got to follow him along by God's uh, wonderful wisdom as he left it in his word. We've seen his failures. We know those are part of the journey, just like it is ours. We've discovered some things about Abraham <clears throat> that have reminded us, some cases convictingly so, of ourselves. We've also seen Abraham do some incredible things for God. And so it's all part of his journey. And as we've discussed and the author of Hebrews highlights, Abraham has left us with a great example we can emulate. First of all, let's look at verse 8. I want to gain a first point from this first verse 8. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, he went out, not knowing where he was going. The first overall, I guess, overarching principle I see from Abraham's life is when he was called, he obeyed. Very simple. He was called and he obeyed. By faith are words that we should put in parentheses next to Abraham. It really seems, you could say, the mantra of his life. He willingly exchanged the known for the unknown, all because he obeyed God. He went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham already had a settled life. He had wealth, friends, active in community. But at the age of 75, God called him out of this polytheistic community and culture, and he called him to something greater, far greater. He was God's chosen instrument. 
Now think, I want you to think about all that Abraham did not have. No precise destination, no map, GPS, no AAA membership, no security team. He had no prayer support from home. They're all polytheistic. He didn't have any of that. This guy's going off, literally, on his own. He has some servants with him, for sure. But he's going to a place he did not know. Now, when Cindy and I drive sometimes, she likes to know where we're going. If, if you're a typical guy, you're going to wing it, right? You're like, we'll get there somehow. I know it's east, right? That, you've done that before. I know it's east somewhere. And so we wind up driving around, and finally we, we say uncle. And we let her put in the coordinates or look at the map or whatever it would take. Uh, a- Abraham had no idea where he's going. Nobody could look at him and say, hey, look at the map. He had no idea. The only thing he could do was trust in God, that God knew where he was going. And so why would God do that? And and why, if God calls you to go somewhere far from home, why would you go if you didn't know? Because the reality is we want a map. If we feel God prompting us to go somewhere, a mission field or going to a particular area, uh, Central Asia or wherever it would be, We want a clear map. We want to know exactly what this is going to look like. What day should I leave God? And uh, and, and this and this and what specific. Give me, lay it all out. God, I want an an itinerary, please. But God doesn't often do that. We wonder why. Well, God says to you, and he said to Abraham, I want you to cultivate your trust in me. So I'm holding back the details so you're going to have to stay close to me. And when you stay close to me, you'll see. You'll know. And so really, when God withholds all them details, understand he's inviting you and me to get close, to stay close. He's not being mean. He's being incredibly gracious, as he was to Abraham. And I believe there's great rewards await for those who obey without knowing all the details. Faith builds upon faith. And it isn't complicated, it just goes against our nature. Many will never experience the joys of the faith journey because they won't take a step without knowing the precise destination. But if we knew the destination, and if we knew the details, we wouldn't seek God. We wouldn't respond in faith, because after all, we know everything that there is to know. So it would really hinder our dependence upon God. When Abraham was called, he obeyed. Verse 9 and 10 give us another key principle. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, what he was promised, he believed. Simply put, he believed. Now think about it, if you were in a foreign culture where you did not know the language or the culture, you can appreciate Abraham's situation. He moved to a place he knew no one. No No permanent place to live. You say, how could he live apart from all that security? Verse 10 simply tells us. He believed. He was looking for the city, which was foundations whose architect and builder is God. He looked forward, and he believed God. Paul commented on Abraham's ability to handle difficult surprises 
and circumstances in Romans 4, 9 through 10. I just want to read, read it from the message, paraphrase, a little, little different. I thought it was good. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say it's hopeless. This 100-year-old body could never father a child, nor did, he sur- nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. No, he plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. I thought that was good the way it was worded. He, he didn't tiptoe around God's promise. He didn't ask skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise of God. He believed it. He believed it. He believed what God said, and he believed that God didn't stutter. He believed. Whether in a cave, a tent on foreign land, he took God at his word. Let me ask you, do you believe God? Or are you selective? Do you rationalize? You say, I know, I know the Bible says God will provide for all my needs. I know God said that, but, but I don't know if God knew that this was going to happen, or this, or this, or this, or I know God gives, gives weak to the weary, but, but he doesn't seem to know really what I'm going through. The question really isn't how we feel. The question is, do you believe God? Do you take him at his word? Abraham did. And don't let the odds of any situation prevent you from accepting the challenge God has for you. I mean, how many times in the Bible, I mean, Joshua didn't, you didn't see him write down and calculate the odds of marching around a city hoping it's going to fall down. The odds were astronomical against it. It seemed that great heroes of the faith model for us that they didn't sit there calculating odds. They believed. And they followed. It's what they did. And so when God says go, people of faith didn't sit and calculate the odds. They simply, completely acted upon God's leading. Abraham models that for us. What he was promised, he believed. Look at verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11. We get another great principle. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, You see, when he was tested, he trusted. The author highlights this this lesson for us. Now, we've looked and considered the possible scenario in which we had to offer up a child as a sacrifice to God. The question is, what enabled Abraham to ascend a mountain with a knife, a torch, firewood, and then place his son on the altar? What was in Abraham to do that? How how could you do something like that? You see, God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to raise him from the dead. He could bring him back. He knew that. So he trusted the character, and he trusted the power of God. He lived with the eyes of faith. And when he was tested, he trusted. I wonder how about you when you're tested? How are you responding Are you trusting God's in this? Are you trusting God's controlling the circumstances and that that for whatever it is, God's cultivating in you a greater sense of purpose, a greater character, conforming you to the image of Christ? And to be frankly honest, sanctification does not happen without testing. Tests will come. That's a given. What's not a given is will you trust him in it? Therein lies the challenge. 
I mean, Abraham was greatly tested, but he trusted. There's a great lesson for you and I. And as we've learned this last principle just in Genesis 25, as he was blessed, he shared. He shared. As we've learned, Abraham became very wealthy, rich in land, goats, cattle, sheep, <clears throat> in the Lamborghinis of the day, camels. <laughs> he was blessed, and he knew it. And he knew he was blessed by God. And his response, he shared it. He didn't hoard it, he shared. We read in Genesis 13 with his nephew Lot. He said, Lot, you have first choice. You let Lot take the spoils. Abraham didn't take anything. Genesis 25, we just, just read, he helped his sons establish their own households. He was blessed, he knew he was blessed. I hope you know that where that blessing comes is from the hand of God. That's why you and I have been so blessed. And his response to it is he shared. It's more blessed to give than to receive, we read in the book of Acts. One author I appreciate laid a challenge out. I wrote this down. I don't know where he came from. It's a while ago. He said, the only valid reason for anyone to make more than they need is to give away the surplus. God graciously gives overabundance for one purpose, so we'd share it. So, share it. Start a new trend. Seek to live with a big, open heart. Seek to give more for the kingdom. Follow Abraham's example. He was blessed, and he shared. So let's sum up these lessons for your journey and mine. Whenever, wherever God leads, follow him. It might be scary, I get it, but wherever he leads, follow him. Whatever he promises, believe it. You can take it to the bank. Whenever God tests you, trust him. He knows exactly what he's doing. And however God blesses you, share. And like Abraham, you and I are called to embark on a journey that God is leading us on. We've studied this man's journey. We've looked at it. Now it's time for us to get going on the amazing journey he has for our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to follow Abraham's journey. We've seen and we've learned much. Most importantly, we've seen your hand lead. We've seen your heart forgive. We've seen your arm save. We've seen your grace redeem. We've seen your wisdom lead. And Lord, we don't want to stay the same. We want to see those things Abraham did. And so we're asking that as you did in Abraham's life, Holy Spirit, would you transform us in increasing ways? Help our faith to be real, to be pure, free from crutches, free from rationalizations free from excuses. Give us the courage to follow you and the ability to trust you even when tests seem to keep coming. Like Abraham, help us to focus on our heavenly home so we won't be too attached to this world. Help us to hold things loosely so you can use everything that you've blessed us with and everything that we are for your glory. 
And Lord, might our journey be marked by a deep and abiding faith in you, the one true God. For to you belongs all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.